But, okay, Jude, please, join me in the book of Jude. We are looking together at, well, I'm going to call it just verse 12 for right now. These are the men who are hidden reefs in your love feast, when you feast with them without fear, when they feast with you, sorry, without fear, caring for themselves. Clouds without water, carried along by winds, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> what a great passage, huh? You say, what? Well, in case you didn't know it was Mother's Day, and this is all a surprise to you today, and you're thinking, uh-oh, I forgot. And you're thinking you need to write a note to your mom or something, and you thought maybe during the sermon time it would give you a few minutes to get that done. I've got some help for you coming from vocabulary.com. If you include any of these words, as as much as you can in your little note, then you've nailed the note to your mother very well. You've got to have these words in there according to them. Treasure, nourish, assist, console, protect, diagnose, encourage, edify, cherish, champion, motivate, Amaze, beget, sustain, foster, raise, rear, parent, enjoy, manage, care for, deal, handle, hold dear, wish, worry, concern, occupy, cleanse, campaign, contend, struggle, defend, mortify. I don't know how that got on the list. Uh, Press, push, talk, babble. Adopt, advocate, sing, remind, play, read, cook, bandage, soothe, comfort, teach, remember, recognize, listen, attend, miss, carry, and support. So somehow if you weave all that in there, you somehow have defined a mother. All right. These are the words really that benefits a child. Things that have come to us from those who have loved us like that. And that's had a part in shaping us, we know, and making us what we are today. So we're very glad for that. I don't know many people, to tell the truth. uh, I don't know very many people. And if I do, there are very few who have told me that their mother was more of a problem than a blessing. So if you have had a good mother, you were blessed indeed. The Lord has given to us a great gift. A mother is like uh, that draws out a verse in the Bible that was just very much read to us in Proverbs 31. Her children rise up and bless her. And I like that phrase. That's the kind of thing you look for in a Mother's Day card. What do you look for in a false teacher's card? You never heard of that before, have you? Hallmark doesn't sell them. Did you know that? They don't have false teacher's cards. Um, They don't make them. But if they did, what would they put on the cover? See, I I just brought a card. I just pulled a card out this morning out of our stash and said, well, there's a card. It's got a tree on it. It's got lots of colors. Matter of fact, lots of colors, you can see. And it's got lots of leaves. And it's just a card. And I don't even know what it says on the inside, to tell the truth. It's just a couple of verses. But a card. 
we expect something beautiful on the cover, don't we? You don't give them ugly cards, do you? Well, what do you give to a false teacher? (laughs) I'm going to explain something here. Because more times than not, we look for trees and pleasant days. And we look for maybe some fruit, maybe an apple or something on the cover that would look very pretty. Or soft rain or an ocean scene to embellish a good description. Jude uses descriptions that involve nature to describe a false teacher. And we're going to see that here in verse 12 and 13, uh, especially as we're studying through what Jude is doing for us here. He's actually, in a way, giving us a card today to identify a false teacher. And it's not a pretty card. All right? So, what is it that he wants us to look at today? Let's just start with verse 12. These, we've been talking about this for a while, so you know we're talking about the false teacher. These are the men who are hidden reefs in your love feast, when they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves, clouds without water, carried along by winds, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted. We have a ocean scene. We have clouds in the sky. We have autumn trees. Pretty pictures, right? Until Jude writes it this way. We have young cartoonists here in our church. And they're busy right now. They're already starting to draw their picture of what Pastor Bob is talking about. And it ends up on my door later. This is going to be a lot of fun for you guys. matter of fact, I should have given everybody a crayon and a piece of paper today. Because we're going to draw some cards. All right? first one that Jude draws for us here is the very first phrase, hidden reefs. Hidden reefs. Now, notice something first of all. This is a dangerous picture that we're about to look at. It's a dangerous picture because these people are dangerous. They've crept in unnoticed, we saw in verse number 4. It's really hard to believe that they are unnoticed, as Jude is writing to this congregation. Everything we've studied about them, would they go unnoticed among us? That would be frightful, wouldn't it, if we didn't notice who they are. Jesus told a parable in Matthew 13. He said in verse number 24 and 25, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, the enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. Not too many things worse than that, perhaps, uh, for those of you out here that plant wheat every year. To have uh, an enemy come by and fill it full of weeds. That would not be good, would it? We could say that's very alarming. Especially if somebody did it on purpose. When Jesus told that picture, he was talking about uh, the Jews and their ignorance and letting false teachers get in among them. But here when Jude is talking, and we try to put that picture to the church, what would the description be of the church? It had fallen asleep. 
while they were asleep, the enemy came in and sowed the tares. All kinds of people are enemies to the true church. They take advantage of sleepy congregations. Unfortunately, that's true. They have sown false words and false actions. They have not only given bad doctrine, but they've divided the flock. They've caused the destruction of all that is good in the fellowship. And don't think that this is the exception to the rule. It is quite a bit more common than we may know. Satan has been very busy to mar the appearance of the bride of Christ. He's been very happy to find us asleep so that he can sow all the negative things that hurts our testimony and renders us powerless in a wicked society like we live. So Jude, in his alarm to wake up the church, gives us little pictures of the kind of results that come from these ungodly men. That's where we are right now in this description passage of these ungodly men. And I don't want to be careless here, by the way, and leave out equal opportunity. There are ungodly women, too. Just playing with the words a little bit. Uh, let's call this a hallmark moment, okay? We're going to look at the pictures and compare a false teacher to nature. Number one, hidden reef. You saw that. Matter of fact, you might have had something else if you were reading the King James Version. What was it? Spots. You might have seen the word spots. There are spots in your love piece. Hang on to that just for a minute. Let me just start with this. There is nothing beneficial to the church in the description of a hidden reef. Or a spot. Nothing beneficial here. One commentary made reference to the fact that when Jude starts to write this portion of his book, he starts to say, these, over and over again. Almost like he's pointing at them, saying, and these, and these, and these. And he keeps pointing at them, almost as if he's, he's one guy said, he's mounting a bitterness as he goes through trying to describe them and the destruction they do. Verse 12 has it. Verse 14 has it. Verse 16 has it. Verse 19 has it. These! He keeps pointing at them. They are hidden reefs. Now, watch carefully. Little Bible study here. He's not saying they are like. Many times we see that in Scripture, don't we? When we're comparing something to another, we see they are like, they are like. But he literally says... They are. They exist as right now and continually because honestly a reef doesn't get any better. Right? Over time it doesn't just start to mellow out. They are hidden reefs. They are there. You have in the King James spots, stains, blemishes, or defects. That's the word S-P-I-L-O-S in the Greek, spilos. The New American Standard pulls it from spilos. The only difference is an A instead of an O. Same word, but that time it means a ledge or a reef or a rock in the sea. A sunken rock. You know, those are very dangerous. 
When you're looking out across the landscape of the water and you see the beautiful, you know, wave come in and you see maybe the sunset on it and things like that, you say, what a beautiful, beautiful picture. If you only knew what was underneath that water, it could be very dangerous. A hidden reef, that's very dangerous. You see, if you had something with a stain or a spot on it and you can't get it out, what do you do? Get rid of it. Get a new one, right? If we had a, a, uh, a very fine tablecloth across here and we had our communion set up and across the front was a big, blue, ugly spot, would you like that? Say, no, let's get a new one. And you'd probably find a way to get us a new one because that's what we do with stains and spots. What do you do with a boat that's hit a rock? Well, you wish you had a new one, is what it is, that you're going down, because that's really bad news. Jude does not say they are like this. He says they are this. They are a danger, and they will ruin the church. That's guaranteed. That's what false teachers do. They are participating, Jude says, right now in your love feast. You say, well... I'm not sure exactly what a love feast is. Let me, let me help you with that a bit. It was a special fellowship, a meal, eaten by the Christians in the early days of the church. When they came together and they worshipped on the first day of the week, they, they brought their lunch with them. They spent time together and they would eat together. And usually it was in somebody's home and the church would gather and have its services and then start feasting together. Uh, goodwill. They called it agape love. The, they talk about benevolence and, and things that they all had in common that they shared. And it was a time to relax and enjoy fellowship. Sometimes it went along with a communion service even. But it was called their love feast. What's interesting is, when you're reading in this passage, in the beauty of that setting, there's a reef right under the surface. That's the false teacher. He's in among you. He's eating with you. He's waiting. Understand this. He is waiting for the opportunity to wreck this fellowship. That's what he's looking for. Many years ago, I, I heard of a song leader who had bitterness develop within him, and he was... Uh, didn't like people giving him suggestions on what to do with songs and things. And somehow that worked hard on his pride. And and he carried about him an air of insubordination. And one particular Sunday, he figured he'd get back at everybody. And he picked the worst congregational songs you could have ever found anywhere to have the congregation sing. Wouldn't that be a, an interesting Sunday? Nobody knew the songs, and they were just horrific in style. All the rest, everything was bad about them. And he did that and later confessed. Said he intentionally torpedoed that service with his actions so that he could mess it up. You say, well, that sounds terrible. Would people actually do that? Yeah. Matter of fact, these, Jude is talking about, are sitting among you. 
They are enjoying the benefits of your fellowship. They're eating your meatloaf. All right? They're part of your song service. They're doing everything that you're doing with a heart's desire to destroy you. And they do so, as Jude says, without fear. They pose as Christians and go heedlessly into the most joyous occasions of the church's week to torpedo that fellowship. And that does exist. Jude says they only care for themselves. See it in verse 12? They only care for themselves. I want to note something. That's one of the singular descriptions of any bad leader. They feed themselves. They care for themselves. They fatten themselves at the expense of the sheep. The living letter paraphrase wrote it this way. These men join you at the love feast of the church, laughing and carrying on, gorging and stuffing themselves, Without thought for others. The comparison is made to Ezekiel 34, or maybe even John 10, of shepherds who actually eat their own flock. Nice little hallmark moment, isn't it? <laughs> Let's pick a different card from the rack. We don't like that one. It's ugly. So, what's the next one? Jude, give us something else. Um, clouds without water... Carried along by winds. Clouds without water. Everybody loves a beautiful cloud in the sky on a bright day. Dark clouds, we, we tend to think differently about that. Most people don't go to the rack to pick a card and look for the gloomiest looking card on the whole shelf. But here's a cloud. A cloud. Just a simple picture. But one that is greatly disappointing to the farmer. Why? No rain. No rain. He's disappointed. He needed water to benefit his crop. The clouds gathered, but nothing fell. It promised much, but it produced nothing. Nothing. Usually after a storm, we go outside to see what's happened to our property. If it was a bad storm, we go looking for our property. We wonder, where, where did that blow away? What kind of damage is this? What kind of damage is that? We, but when it's a wonderful rain, we start to think, boy, was that good for our crops. That was good for our flowers. That was good for the lawn around here. That was good for the water tower. We like it full. We like it to have plenty of water. But not so with these. Nothing is left behind that is beneficial in this picture. They leave nothing behind that's beneficial. Only disappointment. The winds blew the clouds by. They put on a big show to suggest they had substance in them to do us some good, but that never was the case. It's all show and no value. I hate to say this, but a lot of churches invest in a lot of show with no value. It's a technique of the modern style church to put on a big show. 
to bring in the unsaved. And you may say, well, that's a great evangelistic tool, isn't it, Pastor? Well, think for a minute. You set up everything to appeal to the lost. You alter your services. You change the appearance of the building or whatever. You give it a whole new name. And what does it bring you? A church full of unbelievers. And you say, well, perfect. But what is the church? By definition, it's the body of Christ. And who is that? Believers. That's who we are. And we meet here for worship. Because we're all worshiping the same Lord, aren't we? That's why we're here. So we come here for worship. We come here for edification, to be built up, to be strengthened in God's Word, to learn more about it, so that we can meet here to encourage one another and embolden each other. Because sometimes we struggle and we need our brother or sister to pick us up and strengthen us and, and help us. And then we carry the gospel of Jesus Christ out to a lost world, don't we? If the church surface, 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 service is designed to save or serve only the lost, then who's feeding the church believers? I'll tell you what becomes of it. The congregation starves for the meat of the word. Their worship is cheapened. The edification is missing. The encouragement and emboldening is gone. And the members start to look for another place where they will be fed. And some of you know that's very true. I'll just tell you a secret. You ready for it? Don't tell anybody. It's a secret. The false teacher wants you to leave. He wants you to leave so he can continue to deceive those who remain without any concern. They considered you a troublemaker because you wanted more. You wanted to spend more time in the Word. And you were expecting rain. And there was none. And they said it was your fault. You see, nobody wants a gloomy card like that, do they? Nobody wants that. So let's pick another card. We haven't done too well. Maybe the third one is better. It is autumn trees. I like that. Without fruit. Doubly dead and uprooted. Now there's a pretty picture to try to draw. Come to a wonderful harvest season. Where I grew up, it was always in the fall. Around here, it starts in June. Maybe the end of May, when they start to bring in the, the wheat crops and such like that. We were always used to that in the fall. My uncle owned an apple orchard in Ohio. That was one of our yearly treks out to Ohio, apple orchard season, harvest time. That was a lot of fun. If you've ever got to go out into the apple orchard at that time, there was a smell. Like, oh, it's beautiful. A beautiful smell of the apples ripening on the trees and some that are a little more than ripe, laying on the ground. But we'd pick those apples, and we'd fill up basket after basket after basket, and that smell was there. And, of course, you had to pick one and eat it, and there's nothing better than a fresh apple right off the tree. And we'd enjoy that. And then we'd have these baskets in the back of the truck or the van all the way home back to Indiana. And wow, that was a great smell. We loved apple orchard season when the harvest came in. 
But would it have been disappointing to get there and there was no fruit on the tree? Nothing there? Notice, he's not saying the tree had withered fruit. He said it had no fruit. None. Even worse than that. No leaves. There was no fruit. There was no leaves. Kenneth Weiss in his commentary wrote, So these false teachers, men of whom one might expect the ministration of the word, are devoid of spiritual food for the saints, as these autumn trees without fruit. Jesus cursed a fig tree for having no fruit. And here these people stand up and they, they, they offer nothing. They're autumn trees without fruit. But look at something else. He says they're doubly dead. Isn't that an interesting phrase? Doubly dead. That's not ever a good picture, by the way. Doubly dead. You can't just have a little bit of rigor mortis, by the way. You know that? You can say, well, I just got a touch of rigor mortis. Uh, you can't say it that way. If you're dead, you're dead. How do you get doubly dead? We talk spiritually about the idea that you can be dead physically and you can be dead spiritually, which is called the second death, right? Usually we're referencing an unbeliever when we say that type of terminology. Here it says doubly dead. And I think that's a rather interesting picture because they've died twice. They've died above the ground Completely perished with no hopes of reviving. There's nothing there. And they died below the ground. Their roots have been plucked up. They've been pulled out of the ground. Dead at the top. Dead at the bottom. No hope that anything could ever come from that. When we first moved here, we planted some pretty flowers out front. We thought, well, this is beautiful. Let's see what happens. You know, pansies and things like that, plant them all out in the front of the parsonage. The next day we came out, they were all taken out of the ground and laying on the grass. We thought, who did that? Who? Right? We figured somebody must have came through and just plucked up all our flowers. Why would they do that? So we stuffed them all back down in the hole. The next day, guess what? They were all pulled out again, laying in the grass. Found out it was an armadillo. <laughs> he wanted what that soft soil had to... Sh so he pulled out all our flowers and pulled them up. You know, flowers don't grow well like that. <laughs> Trees are no good if you pull them out of the ground. They're dead at the top and dead at the bottom. What do you expect it to ever produce? Nothing. Jesus once said, every good tree bears good fruit. The bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. You say, okay, that makes sense. Well, the false teacher is doubly dead. Don't expect anything from him. Not even the looks of bad fruit. There's no fruit. He's dead. He's pulled up. He gives you nothing. Even if you had a plum or something and it dried up, you still got something. What is it? A prune. <laughs> it is a prune. You, you've got raisins that come from grapes that's dried up. He gives you nothing. You see it? Nothing. 
I've seen some, and I've known some, and maybe you have done this too. You're in a church where there's false teaching going on, and you hang on hoping to make a difference. I understand that. Maybe things will change, you say. Maybe the pastor or the elders or the teachers will change and things will get better. If it's a false teacher, it's a dead tree and it will not change. It's dead. Unless the Lord changes their life in the sense that they become saved, if that person does, they're not getting better. If you want to try it, take a dead tree and plant it. Guess what you're going to get? A dead tree. It doesn't change. Because dead is dead and it doesn't change. We don't plant dead trees on our greeting cards for a reason. Nobody likes them. You wouldn't want a Mother's Day card with a dead tree on the front, would you? Ripped out of the ground, laying on the sidewalk? I don't think you'd like that. But what you see is what simply Jude is trying to say. There's no hope here. There's no hope in any of these pictures. Disappointed with cloudless or waterless clouds or a hidden reef underneath, you will find nothing positive in any of these pictures. No redeeming value. Having a false teacher laying around the church is not going to make it better in any way. In any way. Now, there's more cards to look through on the rack. Believe it or not, verse 13 tells us more. We don't have time for those today. I just want to conclude some thoughts here this morning, very importantly, and I want you to listen carefully. Because when I come through these passages and I read them, and it alarms me, and I know it probably alarms you too, I come to remember that uh, we need to look again at our relationship with Jesus Christ. The best thing you can do to avoid the effects of a false teacher, the best thing we can do as a church to avoid what we're reading in this book is to grow in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to grow. That is the antidote. That's the cure. That's the help. That's our strength. That's our task. That's our privilege, folks. We are given the opportunity to grow And so I point to Jesus, and I say, that's our answer. I plan to do that week after week after week, and I think you're catching on to it. Because we all need to attain to the unity of the faith and to match the measure of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're called to grow in Him. And if we've been careless in our walk with Him, I just want you to know what kind of danger we get into. Immature Christians are carried off by false teachers all the time. They don't see dead trees. They don't see hidden reefs. And they don't see waterless clouds. They see the big show. They don't know the danger. So I just start with this this morning with each of you here. If you've never had a relationship with Jesus Christ and you're not a believer in Him today... You need a Savior. You need to know Him. And I present Him to you again today. The fact is, Jesus is the Savior. The only one. He alone died for your sin. Nobody else did. Nobody else will. Jesus died for your sin. And He's the only one who could bring you to the Father in Heaven.
the only one. As he said himself, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. And that's where we all stand right now in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Either he is your Savior or he is not. And I just appeal to you as a pastor who should, and I proclaim it without any reservation whatsoever, so that everybody in this room, whether you're upstairs or downstairs, you know Jesus Christ is the Savior, and I want him to be yours. I want him to be yours. And should he be yours, you need to grow. And I think I addressed the rest of the people in this room. Hopefully the vast majority. You need to grow. You need to grow in Jesus Christ. You need to know him. You need to know him. And that's what Jude tells us to do. Because he is the one that's able, not us. It's not us that's going to get through this. He is going to get us through this. Because he is the one who is able to keep you from stumbling. And he is the one able to make you stand in his presence with the, of his glory, blameless with great joy. That's right there in Jude, isn't it? He is able. God is able. Do you trust him? Do you trust him? About a month ago, I don't know if it's quite fully a month ago. It feels like it's been a while. I had the privilege of speaking to my brothers and sisters and my cousins and my aunt and uncle and others at my dad's memorial service. And we kind of bunched in my dad and my mom together in that service as we were able to talk about them and the impact they all had on our lives as brothers and sisters. And and I've always had a concern for some of my brothers and sisters and cousins, as you probably would too, whether or not they know the Lord. I mean, we were brought up by my mom and dad who were who loved the Lord dearly, and it showed. It showed in their life, it showed in their actions, and, and so I was actually, believe it or not, you, you probably will believe this, I did the funeral service, and I used the book of Jude as the verse I went to, and it said right there in verse 24, he is able to make you stand in his presence. My parents did a lot of wonderful things, but not one of those things got them to stand in God's presence that way. It was Jesus Christ who did it. And none of us will stand up there and say, it's because I did this, because I did that, because I did this, that we will ever stand in his presence. It's only because Jesus Christ made it possible. And that's what we stand on by faith. So I was able to communicate that with them, and I was hoping that maybe it would trigger their hearts, you know, we pray about their needs and we want to know if they're saved and all that. And I read a poem. My mom was a poet. She wrote a lot of poetry. And that's something I was given a bit of a responsibility to publish it. And I'm going to. Uh, lots of poems. But they're beautiful poems. And she wrote a poem for Mother's Day. And I'm going to read it to you, I think. What do you want for Mother's Day? I hear my children say. Just name it, Mom. Whatever you want is yours without delay. We'll give you this. We'll give you that. Your heart's desire will fill. We'll give you everything you want. They give me quite a thrill. If I could but keep them young 
and guide them by the hand, and no harm would ere befall my own as I go through this land. They're growing up, I can't deny. They really are mature. Was I too strict? Not strict enough? I never am quite sure. I often long for Christ to come before they go astray. I love them all so very much. They're in my prayers each day. Lord, forgive me when I'm weakened, when my heart is filled with doubt. You gave promises that cover things we mothers fret about. Dear God above, O perfect one, dear master of my life, help me to be a loving mom, a kind and helpful wife. My husband, children, all are yours. To claim as mine, I wouldn't dare. You've blessed me with their presence here and gave me joy beyond compare. My heart's desire, a mother's dream. This thing, O Lord, I pray, to see my children, all of them, in heaven with you someday. You know what your pastor's dream is, too? Same thing. Do you know the Lord? If you don't, I want to talk to you about that. If you do know the Lord, I want you to grow. All right? I don't want these dangers to come inside our door. I don't want us to be unaware, unasleep, unprotected. I want us to be mature and strong, thriving in our knowledge of the Lord, standing up firm and strong in His ability, as a good, healthy church should be. If they should come through the door, I don't think they would feel welcomed here. Heavenly Father, help us this day to take these things to heart. If there is somebody among us who does not know our Savior, draw them to yourself, Lord, for only you can do that. You've done it for us and we rejoice in that. Do it for them too. You know every heart here today and you know the need of the heart. And here as well we have So many who know you, Lord, may we not become lazy, complacent, careless, even fall asleep in our faith. Help us to wake up, be strong, to nourish ourselves in your word, to know more of our Savior, to grow in his grace and in the knowledge of who he is, that we might be a healthy, strong church, especially in a day like today. Thank you, Lord, for Jude's words. Even though we just hear snippets as we go day by day, week by week, as we go through this passage, but they are sufficient to remind us to draw near to our shepherd. Stay there, because that's where we're safe. And I pray, Lord, you work your work in our hearts today, that your name will be glorified in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen.